Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Today, we are going to discuss autism and Autism Speaks. There is an epidemic growing in the United States. In 1975, one in 5,000 children were diagnosed with autism. In 2001, one in 250. And today, one in 68 children are diagnosed along the autism spectrum. Being an educator and a therapeutically trained foster adoptive parent, I was able to recommend two children for applied behavioral analysis, both for what appeared to be pervasive developmental disorder, and one of those children was my nephew. My two distinguished guests today will share their expertise of children with autism. My first guest, Michael Rosen, joined Autism Speaks as the Executive Vice President of Strategic Communications in April of 2013. In this role, Rosen manages all aspects of Autism Speaks communications and public relations efforts in support of its mission. He is responsible for developing and implementing communication strategies to broaden the impact of Autism Speaks programs in all key areas, science, advocacy, family services, and awareness. Michael, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Dr. Jefferson. Mission of Autism Speaks. Sorry, you broke up there in the beginning. I think you were asking about the mission of Autism Speaks? Yes. Right. So Autism Speaks is, is dedicated to helping anyone who struggles with autism spectrum disorder and you know as you know well having a nephew is effective affected it's a wide spectrum so you can have some people who are very uh, not severely affected and go to college we have some people we work with who are in law school and then you have some people like uh, my son for example who's nonverbal 26 years old and nonverbal so it's a broad spectrum but we want to help everybody who struggles whether they need help with housing or employment or whether they need help with just what you were talking about, applied behavioral analysis or insurance to help get that covered, these exorbitant costs. So what are the things you do to help raise awareness of autism? Well, so just uh, just getting back right now from North Carolina, where we're trying to institute uh, insurance reform, autism insurance reform, because, uh, again, applied behavioral analysis, which is the most, you know, scientifically um, proven um, treatment that can work in early intervention to help make a difference in people's lives can cost $60,000 for families around this country. The out-of-pocket expenses are exorbitant. So we're trying, wow. to, we're trying to get insurance to cover this as, you know, or the cost is going to be incredible both emotionally and financially for the nation. 37 states have insurance for autism, and we're working, uh, we've worked on those, and now we're working on the rest, and that's why I was just in North Carolina as a vote comes near. Now, is, is New York unique? Because I know if you're a school-aged child, you can have arrangements for the school district to um, do the, you know, behavioral analysis at no cost, to, no additional cost to the family. And, and that's because insurance will cover that in, in New York. So, you know, um, some insurances will just cover, you know, um, certain, ther- you know, speech therapy, physical therapy. But what we really find at the youngest age, and I'm sure you've seen from your nephew, Dr. Jefferson, is that uh, youngest, you have to get in there early with our kids, get in there very early and get applied behavioral analysis, and you can really make a difference later in life. Okay. Now, 
uh, we say early, um, what age is, is the most beneficial to, to identify a child? Because many children aren't identified until, you know, seven, eight years old or later. And that's the tragedy. Yes, we want, you know, everybody should get in there, you know, at two or, or three years old. We had a whole ad campaign. I, I was listening just before I came on the air. You had some ad council campaigns for Smokey the Bear. We have a campaign with the ad council that talks about early intervention can make a lifetime of difference because when you get in at two or three years old, you know, tragically, we found, were found that research shows that in the African-American and Latino communities, diagnosis is coming much later. Like just what you said, six, seven years old because of both stigma issues and, and, and financial issues. So we're trying to get out the word, you know, spread the word that we need, you know, in all communities, everybody to get their children early diagnosis. Yeah. And, and actually, I had the experience of I, I was a, uh, a foster parent for some time before I became an adoptive parent. My, my son is now 24. Um, however, but I, I had a, a, a child in my home who was already 10 years old. And I was the first one to identify certain uh, behaviors that eventually proved to be uh, somewhere on a spectrum. And yet children in foster care, at least in, in my experience uh, here in New York, have, have specialists around them all the time. Is this common where even uh, the psychologists and, and, and therapists uh, may miss certain key indicators? Yeah, we find that certain in certain areas, certain, you know, Doctors are not learning the signs. We're putting information into doctors' offices. They, everybody needs to understand, and, and we have a learn the signs campaign. You need to know both parents and, and, and doctors and, and professionals need to know the signs, what to look for. You know, we, um, there's another ad council campaign that we've done called the Maybe Campaign, where you just ask parents to ask that question. If you're not getting eye contact from your child, you know, if it looks like he's not listening to you, you know, just ask that question. Maybe there's something wrong, and please go see a doctor. And I'm, I will definitely uh, search the ad council and make sure that I, I include those additional uh, ad council ads on my show as well. Thank you um, so much. You're more than welcome. Uh, you left a career in television news to join Autism Speaks. Can you tell us what inspired that change? Yes, well, I... Um have, as I mentioned before, I have a 26-year-old who's severely affected. He's nonverbal. And so, you know, even while I was working in, in my television career, you know, there's certain choices that I had to make because of his disability that I couldn't take certain jobs or move certain places. And I always knew I wanted to try and give back. You know, I had a great career at television news, both at ABC News and CBS News. I was executive producer of the morning show on the weekends for the last uh, nine years. And I wanted to try and give back. And so when Bob and Suzanne Wright asked me to come and join Autism Speaks, you know, I couldn't think of a better thing in the world to do to give back, you know, at the next stage of my career. Now, I was just saying, as, as your son transitioned into adulthood, what were some of the challenges that the family faced? Well, this is, you know, so important, you know. So we're lucky here in New York City. We got him into a great uh, group home with the YAI organization, which is the largest in the tri-state area. He lives in a... You know, great area in Chelsea in a, a, a townhouse with about uh, 12 other people and they have 24-hour care and it's wonderful but you know those prevalence numbers that you were talking about earlier you know the one in 2000 now one in 68 so all of these kids everybody needs to understand that this isn't just a childhood you know disability all of these kids are now growing up and getting older it's, it's not just about children 
And so over the next 10 years, 500,000 kids are going to need places to live and they're going to need support because we know school districts will only support them until they're 21 years old. So that everyone's going to need a place to go. I'm very lucky. You know, I got on a waiting list in New York City and I, you know, for a year and a half, they told me, you better move now. There's one bed available in a great home. And, you know, he could have stayed, wow. in, a, he, he could have stayed in a great place for a little while longer. But I said, I have to jump on this now. I don't know when the next bed in New York City at a great place will be. So you have to, you know, it's, it's urgent that everybody, you know, does the research and finds out the best locations in their areas and go to Autism Speaks. We have toolkits on our website for the best housing, you know, housing resources in your area, what to do as your child is transitioning. Please, everybody go to Autism Speaks, www.autismspeaks.org. And we have toolkits about housing, transitioning, everything from how to get your, have your kid get a haircut or learn to be potty trained. We, we want to help. It, it appears that Autism Speaks is trying to get where um, the services for, let's say, severely mentally retarded are, are already at, where there's, where there's adult communities, there's adult services. Is, is, would that be a true assessment that that's the direction that Autism Speaks is going to have these things in place as they are for um, severely mentally retarded? Well, we really need to start to focus on the adult population. You know, like uh, I was just saying, that all of these kids are getting older, so we want some place where they're comfortable and safe and happy and enjoyed fulfilled lives. And whether that's in communities, that's one model, or whether it's in a, a group home with three other people, that's another model. We're just trying to... You know, and, and also what will be fulfilling for people is, is having a job. Everybody feels good about holding a job. So whether it's, you know, just handing out uh, meals at, at uh, homeless shelters or, or, you know, my son, you know, puts newspapers in cages at, at pet stores or whether it's a more, uh, you, know, a, you know, a more taxing job, that's the kind of thing we need to find people to live fulfilling lives. Okay. Now, now, when your son was, your son is uh, in his mid twenties. So, when he was first diagnosed um, twenty five years ago, what was it like? I mean, there, was, there was so little known. I mean, we're just now starting to dig into the research and learn more. There was so little known, like when you first got that diagnosis. Yeah, the you know, no one ever would would even use the word autism in in those days, and it was like you were saying when you were doing the intro to the segment. It was, you know, one in 2,000, you know, back in those days. And everybody would say, don't worry, it's not autism, don't worry. It's because they didn't know just what we were talking about. They didn't know what the signs were. They didn't know what it was. And they just kept saying, don't worry, it's not autism. And, of course, that's what it was. And the number of people who must have been hearing like I was, and so maybe they didn't get the early intervention or, or were, you know, didn't have the urgency. So it was a completely different time, and, and it was completely scary and the, and the resources and, and places available and doctors available who treated this, we still don't have enough today. And you can imagine what it was like in 1988. Wow. Okay. The documentary Sounding the Alarm made its debut on Netflix yesterday. Can you tell us a little bit about the film and why it's so important? Yeah, it, it's a, a wonderful film that traces uh, the lives of 12 families, including Bob and Suzanne Wright, who, you know, he was the head of NBC Universal for 24 years, longest serving head of a television network in, in the history. And they decided because there was no services for their grandson, Christian, who was severely affected, they had to start an organization. So it traces their path and 12 other families who are facing different obstacles 
whether it's having to leave North Carolina and move to Indiana because they can't afford, because Indiana has insurance coverage, or a soldier who comes back from war and because he's retired, his kid no longer gets benefits. You know, these kind of struggles uh, are what the film talks about, and it has stories of triumph. Great, the Rising Tide Car Wash in Parkland, Florida, which only employs people with autism, and these kids are so happy to have a job that they are, those cars are the cleanest cars on the block <laughs> because they're thrilled to be there. And these are not kids who come in and gossip or need a, need a, you know, a, a bathroom break or need a long lunch hour. They just they love making those tires look great and making those windshields look great, and they're thrilled to have a job. Okay, excellent. Michael, at this time, we need to take a short break. But stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. Thank you. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our distinguished guest, Michael Rosen, regarding autism. Uh, Michael, just before the break, we started to um, the, the movie just came out. The film also highlights the need for residential and housing supports. When your son Nikki aged out of the system, did you have to find residential supports for him? Uh, what was that experience like? You may have touched on this before. Well, I did have to find supports for him. So he was in a, a, a residential school in Long Island, uh, and I wanted him close to me. I live in New York City, and I wanted him close to me. And there was just, you know, so for a couple of years before, you know, I knew he had to be ready at the time he was 21 because they were going to throw him out of this school where, where it's no fault of their own. It's mandated by the state. Whether he was ready or not, he was going to have to find a place to live, you know. And I'm not a, a, um, a medical expert. I, I can't give him as good a care as he gets from professionals. So once that deadline was coming, I started working with the New York Department of Education, working with you know um, advocates for city housing, working with organizations that supply housing. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they told me. You, you know, there's a, one great bed just opened up in Chelsea in a great area of New York City, and you better jump on it right now. And I said, I was kept thinking, but he's so happy, and he has a year left at the, where he is now. And we went for it, and it was a great decision because we don't know when. Then he's five minutes from me, and we see I see him three times a week, and I don't know when another opportunity like that may have come up for other people. In, in your son's case, does... You know, and this is just my own ignorance. So, excuse my ignorance. Uh, does do you sense the the, the separate? Does he sense the separation when you're away, and 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 show the the uh, the joy when when he gets to see you? Oh, it's a great question because um, you know he'll even though he's nonverbal, he calls me three times a day. He has a little phone chart with pictures of his family, and I'll point to my picture, and they dial the phone for him, and he wants to hear all about what we did uh, last time I saw him and when am I going to see him next and what we're going to do and I can hear him breathing and I can make him giggle. So absolutely, I know when he's happy. You know, sometimes he'll try and do a sly smile and hide to me that he's smiling and I'll tease him and I can really make him laugh. So, um, you know, it wasn't always that easy when he was very young. There was a lot of tantrum, tantruming. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't happy a lot of the time and some of that was because of illness. You know, he has Severe autism is not just a brain disorder, it also, uh, it's a full body disorder. So it often comes with severe GI issues, uh, 
my son was a, you know, bites himself when he's in pain because he can't talk and express himself, so he bites his hand. It comes with all sorts of other um, issues. Now, not too many years ago, I saw this fantastic programs, and I saw this more than once, where they show the extraordinary benefit of the iPad and how students who, us children, excuse me, who weren't previously communicating were able to communicate at really high levels using the iPad. It's wonderful, the iPad. You know, Steve Jobs, you know, what he's done for the disabled, you know, with the, with the iPad, you know, it's intuitive is the thing. You know, our kids know, my son and all of our kids know how to swipe and, and find their apps and, there's so many apps being developed for people with autism. It's stunning. It's, it's such an industry right now. So it is, iPads are really lifesavers. And for the, all of the different kinds of apps that are communication-based apps, you know, with pictures that they can point to, it's wonderful. And, and Autism Speaks, every year, last year we gave out 800 app, uh, iPads to the community when people wrote in why they needed an iPad. So we, you know, we're constantly trying to, it's one of our, grants, uh, we try and give out a bunch of iPads to the community. That is excellent. Uh, in the documentary, you see a family that has to move from North Carolina to Indiana. Why was it so important for them to move? Is there anything that can be done to prevent this from happening to other families? So this um, fellow, Mr. Lawrence, is a short order cook, had a good job, but his out-of-pocket expenses were approaching Forty or fifty thousand dollars a year, and he just couldn't afford it. He they put a second mortgage on their house, and they sold put their house up for sale, and they just couldn't afford it. And the uh, ABA therapy that we were discussing earlier, and it's the one thing this family saw was making improvements in their child. So they left their entire family in North Carolina with uh, everyone they knew where they grew up, and moved to Indiana where they knew no one, and. Um, because it was covered in the insurance in Indiana. I just want to point out also, just having come from North Carolina, you know, where we're trying, working on this there, that this is not a Republican or Democrat Democratic issue. It's, you know, it's an issue that some of the first states that ever put autism insurance reform were South Carolina and Indiana. You know, you would think of as red states. But, mm -hmm. you know, those, these are real Republican states. And Texas, Rick Perry, you know, has uh, autism insurance reform, too, as well as, you know, Massachusetts, New York, and the industrial Northeast. So it's not a red state, blue state issue. It's a common sense issue because of what it means both, again, you know, emotionally and financially for these families and for this country. So can you imagine if we don't cover this? This is $60,000 a year times 3 million American families, 70 million families worldwide. The cost. Just add it up. The cost to this nation financially, just from a business sense, it, it's a, it, it makes sense. If you don't even put in the emotional cost to family. Well, well I had the one of my experiences in education. I was a, a director of education for a special, uh, special ed school, school. And we provided those services at no cost to the parents. And, and so do the public schools with regards to if it's on their IEP and they need speech therapy or, or occupational therapy. All of this is covered is and, and I was just ignorant at assuming that as long as a child is in a public school setting, that those additional services are provided. Is that not? The well, these, you know, to make the most. I'm sorry, uh, you broke up. I may have. I apologize if I interrupted you, but. 
Um, Dr. Jefferson, yeah, exactly what you're saying. I mean, a lot of this is given is school-based, but, you know, what these kids really need is not just the hour a day in school. A lot of them need 40 hours a week, you know, intensive ABA therapy to just to bring all of this sort of memorization and therapy, really to let it take hold. We need, you know, many, many hours a week. Mm. No, and actually you didn't, you didn't, um, you didn't interrupt me. We're having communication problems. I'm actually coming to you from the desert. I'm out in uh, Las Vegas. And, uh, so there's a lot of people trying to use this connection. So, um, it's, it's not you. It's on, it's on my end, but you didn't step on me at that time. Um, Good. so what are the, what are the biggest challenges for Autism Speaks as you go forward? Well, the big challenges are first, we want to get the rest of our state's insurance for our families. So nobody has to pay this kind of money. You don't, you know, this is a, you know, you have this kind of burden on your family. You shouldn't also have the financial, you know, the fear of going bankrupt. You already, you're dealing with an intense cost, personal cost as it is. So we want, we need insurance reform. We need to find housing for all of these people, 500,000 people. We need to find jobs. We need to find employers like this car wash in Florida who will give, you know, people with autism a chance at jobs because some of them, the high, the less affected ones, especially, have great minds for math and computers and, and research, so are great employees. So all of these things, and we need to get people to understand, raise awareness. So every doctor, like you were saying earlier, and every educator understands early that maybe, maybe there's a sign there, that maybe this person has autism, and please go and see a professional. We need to every part of the country to understand that. That's, that's excellent information. And, in fact, something you mentioned earlier the when they when they work at something that they have the joy to get out of that work so that unlike so-called normal employees who are concerned about you know their lunch break and their coffee breaks and their contract and their fact that they have the joy of working um, is something that um, employers need to hear because there are so many things we can put in place um, to to have them work among us very effectively in fact Completely, and I hope everybody will either go to um, Netflix or in August, this film in the 26th will be on iTunes and Amazon Prime, and take a look at some of these stories. These employees at the Rising Tide Car Wash, a boy, a young man telling the story of how he sat home, he'd be sitting home watching TV if not for this job because he was turned down at so many places that wouldn't hire him, and now he just gets so much joy out of cleaning these tires and making these cars shine. It's just a joy. I mean, it brings out tears, you know, and applause every time we show this film. So please, uh, you know, I hope everybody will see the film, and I hope employers, small businesses, will think about giving our community a, a real shot at real jobs. Okay. And, and Michael, in the future, is there hopes of getting this film um, and shown on any other major networks, if possible? Yes, we're, we're trying to, we're talking to some networks about showing it. We're doing also selected screenings around the country. We're asking all of our, you know, our, our people who run our walks all around the country and around the world, frankly, because it's now in many different languages. We're asking them to set up screenings at, at various places. So anybody, if you just go to our website again, www.autismspeaks.org, you'll see if there are screenings scheduled and how to, how to take a look at the film. Okay, that's that's great information, uh, Michael. I just lost you in my in my headphones, but I, I hope you're still there and everyone can still hear me. Uh, we have been speaking with Michael Rosen, 
the Executive Vice President for Strategic Communications for Autism Speaks. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Jefferson, and raising awareness on this issue. And all the best to your nephew as well. Thank you. I appreciate it.